Good morning, Vets of Tomorrow. Today's podcast is with Dr. Maria Groth. She is a veterinarian and veterinary pathologist, and she works at Wageningen Food Safety Research and also at Natural Livestock Farming. Hello, Maria. Good morning. Well, thank you for having us today. Today we're going to talk about what kind of research you do and also your involvement in projects abroad, where you had some experience with animal welfare and the cross-section between a lot of veterinary disciplines. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe tell us how you got into research? Yes. Uh, first, when I graduated, I started in animal uh, small animal practice. But I found you need to be a psychologist and a social worker to do that work. Because I liked the animals, but the people, I couldn't cope with them. And so, during my study, I did some volunteer work at a pathology department, and I liked that. Then you could play the forensic detective and find out what was the reason the animal had died. So, I thought maybe research is more my idea. And when there was a job at a National Meat Inspection Service for... uh, histology for meat control for uh, hormone use in few calves. Then I applied and then I got into research. And what do you really enjoy about doing the research? Well, it's at the moment and the things that I have done, it has always to do with the actual situation. When there is a problem with climate, when there is a problem with hormones, when there is a problem with animal health, you can uh, focus your research on that topic. And that's very interesting. So it's really varied. Yeah, it's really varied. And in my case, I don't think it's for everyone, but I have changed uh, my work field from uh, histological control of hormones in veal calves to uh, international use of herbal medicine to uh, reduce antibiotics. So it's the field is very broad. And when you do things that are... Uh, in line with the current uh, questions, yeah, then you can do it. We have a lot of current questions. Some are very country-specific and some are really worldwide. And certainly animal welfare questions, but also environmental pollution, climate change are worldwide questions. And you've been to some projects in Africa. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us more about them? Because they, in a way, really are the linkage between us and the rest of the world, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. First, we had an exchange program from uh, Oxfam Novib and the province of Overijssel in the Netherlands. And then we went with veterinarians and farmers to India, to Ethiopia and to Uganda. And it was very interesting when the uh, vets and the farmers from here were talking to the vets and farmers from there, because you can learn a lot from each other. And for the vets from the Netherlands, it opened their eyes for first (laughs) the animal management and animal welfare things, but also the possibilities of hormonal remedies to uh, cure animals. That was very interesting. And we got a project in Ethiopia about milk quality. It was called Healthy Milk, Healthy People, Healthy Environment to uh, show the One Health approach that was included. And for that we used the five-layer strategy, which includes using uh, animal management, uh, breeding, especially the use of uh, indigenous breeds, uh, the use of herbal remedies, quality control of milk, which will lead to uh, extra income for the farmers. Can you describe the situation practically? So when you got to Ethiopia, what did you see? Well, in Ethiopia, 
you have two types of farmers. You have the pastoralists and they have the local breeds and they go grazing and well, they have not much production. And you have the small dairy uh, fa uh, smallholders and they have the cows inside in a barn on concrete tied up all their lives and they try to protect them from the outside. They keep them for the milk and in Ethiopia the main problem is the availability of feed because they do zero grazing and they have to buy the feed on the market and the animals are fed on crop residues, especially from teff. That is the local uh, kind of grain that they eat. So they try to do their best to care well for the animals, but it is really sad to see that the animals are tied their whole life. And uh, they don't know that to give milk, you have to give the animals water also. So they get uh, two buckets a day. And yeah, they cannot give milk on that. And they kept on a concrete floor because it is easy to keep uh, clean. But you want the cows to lie down, relax, ruminate. And well, it's, it's very difficult to get that between the ears. So just to recapitulate, you have the pastoralist and you have the urban farmers, mm -hmm. they have presumably a couple of animals. Yes. And so that also means their livelihood. Yes. So their welfare, in a way, is really directly linked to the welfare yeah. of the animals. Yeah. And now they are, in a way, doing their best, but they don't have the knowledge and the means, because you were just saying they don't really have appropriate food for cows. So what are um, initiatives within Ethiopia to actually enhance the knowledge so that people can care better? And, and what also, how, how would they possibly get better food? Well, I think the main problem is the crossbreeding with the Holstein Friesians. Because all the development programs have been uh, focused on increase uh, of milk production. And when you have a cow that is genetically uh, built to make milk, well, they think that is the solution. But when you don't have the environment uh, for that animal, you don't have the feed, uh, you don't have the special care, uh, you have a climate that is too hot for the animals, the infection pressure is too high, the, they have diseases animals cannot cope with, it, it's really a disaster. So the, the programs from the government has been focused on increase uh, of milk production, uh, many projects together with the Netherlands and with uh, Wageningen University, uh, University. But the effects are, uh, well, sometimes they get more milk, but they also get more mastitis. They get more malnutrition of the children, because when the farms get bigger, uh, the men get in charge instead of the women, and they sell the milk, and there is less left uh, for the children to feed. So. It really uh, has a huge impact when you try to change the system of smallholders and women keeping the animals and caring from them uh, to a kind of Dutch or modern situation with more cattle and uh, uh, more management like we do it here. It doesn't work. And the approach you described earlier, the five-layered approach, how would that make a difference to those people? Well. It does make a difference because we also have contact with experts from India and we flew them in and they learned the people there, the farmers, how to make remedies with local herbs and uh, kitchen spices. 
because they use simple things like curcuma and garlic and, and pepper and things they have around. And so they have a cure for mastitis, they have a cure for wounds, they have a cure for fever, and uh, it really works. People are very, very happy, and they keep animals alive that uh, would have uh, died otherwise. Because when animals are sick, they use antibiotics, because it, they think it works for everything. And all the milk is consumed, because they cannot afford to throw it away. So people get exposed to antibiotics, and that has the risk of uh, antibiotic resistance. And you get pollution of the environment. So this is really a way that uh, that helps people to keep the animal alive. In the last period, we did an assessment uh, for how things were going. And they had a calf mortality of 60%. So that was uh, really a problem. And now we also a uh, woman farmer from the Netherlands who went there. And they told people how to care of the newborn calves. And that was also very helpful. So the people could do the things with the the measures they have themselves. It's just simple things by giving the calves colostrum enough or feeding it uh, when they cannot suckle themselves. Uh, these simple things, but people stood there and watched the calves die. Now they have uh, means to keep them alive. And have you spoken to the farmers? How does it make them feel that they now have means? Oh, they are so happy. And we started the project with 60 farmers, and now we have 85. Because uh, farmers in the neighborhood, they want to join in. And even farmers that stopped farming because it was so frustrating, the animals dying and uh, getting sick, they are getting cows again. And do you see any ways of addressing the feed? Yeah, there are different ways that can be uh, done. I think there should be little feed growing by the farmers themselves when they have a few plants or they go around to gather some some feed for the animals it, it might help i think there should be more grazing animals should be outside and walking around instead of being tied up their whole life but the feed thing is is really a problem because we have people that buy the feed and they sell it to the farmers to a huge price and the farmers they are uh, with their back uh, against the wall because they have to have feed for the animals. Yeah, and so they have to pay. So in a way, it's quite a sad chain of dependencies. Yes. And by actually giving people the knowledge to look after themselves, you are empowering people. Yes, that is the idea. And you can hopefully change something in a sustainable way. They can, in the setting that they are, look after themselves. Yeah. And to come back to the residues, that's something you mentioned, because in a situation like this, the usage of antibiotics isn't probably guided by veterinary advice, because no. probably they don't have access to veterinary care. No. So it's just used. From your projects, in, in what ways are residues a problem bigger than just public health? I think it's always a problem bigger than public health because you get uh, antibiotic resistance in the animals and in the in the people, but also in the environment. Because with antibiotics you disturb the soil life and the, the insects and well, all the things that are uh, living there and that has its impact on, uh, on birds and everything that lives from that. And do they use other medicines than antibiotics that also cause a problem? Uh, in Ethiopia, that's not, I think they use mostly antibiotics and maybe sometimes painkillers.
But in uh, Uganda, where I also was, they use lots of acaricides, uh, products against ticks, because they have a really problem with ticks that are uh, factors of disease, especially East Coast fever. But they use lots of acaricides and they mix them and uh, the ticks are resistant. And that is really an environmental problem because uh, the ticks does, uh, do not react to the acaricides, but it's all in the environment. So you don't have bees, you don't have insects, uh, the manure, nothing is uh, flying around it. And the, the birds are dead. It's really a, a huge problem. Those problems you describe in Africa, they really have an influence on our lives as well, in a way. Because mm. if they don't have insects, biodiversity, they will have even more problems with climate change. Yeah. Um, resistance will be transmitted to our continent as well. So it is something we should care about. Yeah, of course. And what would you like to say to veterinary students to get them enthusiastic about those things? Well, I think they have to go there. I think there should be exchange projects for uh, student, students to go around the world to see how farming is done in, in, in India, in Ethiopia, in China. That will broaden your perspective of, on how things can be done and what you can learn from each other. And now it's so that for many things, biotics and other things, they are sold to uh, Africa and India on a very cheap way. So everybody has access and everybody does it and it's really getting a huge problem. And I think the solution is in, in nature, uh, natural products, in natural remedies. The ethno-veterinary knowledge that was there available, that has to be brought back so people can help themselves. And this approach of ethno-veterinary knowledge, could you outline that a bit more? What is the concept of ethno-veterinary knowledge? Ethno-veterinary knowledge is the knowledge that people had before there were antibiotics and pharmaceutical industry. And it is knowledge that is uh, available in pastoralists and old farmers. And uh, in India, they have a system of assessment of this knowledge. And they have a group. They sit together with a veterinarian, a farmer, a pharmacologist, a toxicologist. And they look at the remedies. And then they think, well, it might be safe. And then they look at the results. They do small uh, experiments. And when it's safe and it is effective, They spread the remedies to the farmers, so they set it on, uh, put it on the email and or uh, on the WhatsApp. So every far farmer has the remedy and they can help themselves, because those ethno-veterinary remedies are made from local plants or minerals or other things that are available in the environment. So it's very good to keep things locally. The local knowledge they have in those countries, I mean, they obviously also have the plants that grow there locally mm -hmm. and they have not so many animals to care for. So a farmer, I presume, has the time to apply remedies uh, more than once a day and look after the animal and note little changes. Yes. Um, so that's very sort of um, characterizing for small holding systems. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have small holding systems. But what can we still learn from them and how could we translate their knowledge into knowledge that we can use here and that we can also accept as scientifically sound? Well, I think 
many remedies have been investigated by universities, so there is uh, literature about it. So you can just look at the literature and see how uh, the working mechanism and the efficacy is of some of those uh, ethno-veterinary remedies. But I think the main thing we can learn from them is that they can live from three cows. And here in the Netherlands, you need to have 300, and then you have a very small income. So here it's gone too far, uh, efficiency uh, and scale enlargement. And I think when you go back to a few cows you can care for and you can also make a living, I think that is the biggest example. When you look at India, they are the biggest milk producer of the world, only with smallholders. The milk companies, they, they help their farmers, they give them health care, they give them education for the children. And they give them a good price for the milk so they can uh, live with only a few cows. They give education to the veterinarians and the farmers how to use uh, herbal remedies to reduce the amount of uh, chemicals in the milk. So they do that for themselves, but they also help the farmers. I think that is a really inspiring system that we can learn of. And what were the main impressions from the vets and farmers you traveled with? Well, I think first people were very uh, septic. They thought, oh, well, just first see and then believe and uh, we do it our way. And But then in a few days you saw them lighting up, lightening up. They were getting enthusiastic. And now many uh, vets that have been uh, to uh, Asia and uh, Africa, they are using remedies themselves. They are using uh, natural products that are available in the Netherlands, but some also use a remedy that uh, they learned in uh, Africa and in India. And they are very enthusiastic on it because we have a remedy for calf diarrhea. And well, People have many cows, but they do want to keep the calves alive. So when they have a calf that has diarrhea and it doesn't react to the normal therapy, they try the Indian recipe, and in many cases it works. So, yeah, they are, they are spreading the, this now. Coming back to veterinary students, you said already research is varying, that you were in a way also probably lucky to change uh, your field of research. Mm -hmm. Aspiring researchers amongst veterinary students What would you say to them if you were to give them a pep talk? <laughs> Research is as broad as you like. I started looking at hundreds of prostates under the microscope and I found it very interesting. For this I worked together with Italy and we made a real uh, hormone control program there that's still working. And now I seldom use the microscope but I fly all over the world to talk about the use of herbal remedies for animal health but also for environmental health environmental health and for uh, human health. So you can change and you can try to help the world and be uh, address the, the current situation and the current problems. Because at the moment we have problems with the climate and I think improving animal health and using the right feet, you can help a little bit in that direction. And just to summarize, I think your story shows that whatever you do as a veterinarian in whatever field you choose, you are connected to the world. Yep. And in 2019, 2020, probably more than ever before. Yeah, I think so. And especially for future veterinarians, we can only hope that there are lots of vets 
who take up things like you've done and help us making the world a better place for increased welfare and health in animals and humans and the planet, really. Yeah, yeah you see how all things are connected. And when you work at animal health, you also work at the, the health of the animal products and the health of the people, the health of the environment. You, you can really contribute. And health is a big part of welfare. Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Maria. It was lovely talking to you and we hope to inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. In her talk, Maria mentioned another welfare problem that had not really been discussed in the podcast yet. And that was the total lack of exercises cows get in the Ethiopian urban farming environment. Now imagine yourself being a vet in Ethiopia and wanting to do something about it. Can you come up with ideas? What could you do? Maybe it's an idea that you just press the stop button now and have a think of what you would do and then go on to listen to what Maria had to say of her experiences. Another animal welfare uh, item in Ethiopia is the lack of exercise the animals get. When they are born, they are tied up and they keep tied up their whole lives. And I think that is really a problem. And you get uh, problems with uh, the hooves. And you get problems with locomotion. They have uh, wounds because of they lay down on, on the concrete. It's really a problem. And when you go to India, they have another system. They have the, the cows that have a nose rope. But that's not always very animal friendly. But it makes it easy for the women to walk with the cows to the milking parlor to walk with them around the way to uh, let them go grazing uh, in the environment. And that would be probably really difficult in the urban Ethiopian farming environment. Yes, but when I think when they only take the cows out of the stable and make a little walk around. Yeah, it's an improvement. Yeah, li like they have a dog. So they just walk, walk the cows because don't, not walking all your life, yeah. just standing up and lying down. It's devastating for the joints. Yeah, also for the mental well-being. Also for the, the mental well-being. They don't get, get any challenge, any change in environment. And sometimes they are tied with their head almost in the, the feet. Yeah, feet uh, eat and give milk and that's all.